0: Today, we're picking it up. Now, in your Bibles, uh, your, your, your subtitles, your uh, the big bold print uh, might have this in under one category. We're going to pick it up today at verse 16, Matthew 8. And we're just going to look at two more verses again, Matthew 16 and 17. The Gospels contain stories of Jesus' ministry that record... Real miracles that had an immediate impact. These are real miracles with an immediate impact. It's, I don't think I need to persuade any of you of this, but it's important that we at least assert it on the regular that we believe that what we read in the Bible happened that these are not allegories, these are not metaphors, we are not deconstructionist postmodern uh, philosophical pluralists. We reject the cesspool of German theology that also gave us Freud and Darwin. The deconstructionist theology of that period was based entirely upon a rejection of supernatural. It was theology done apart from faith, which is anathema. good morning. (laughs) These miracles happened and they had real impact, but the good news is that their impact didn't stop in the first century, that they continue to resonate with power and they continue to have meaning to every reader. They continue to speak to us. They speak to us in raw form and the power that is present there continues to speak to us as power that is present now. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet the miracles themselves have taken on a voice. And they continue to inform us about who Christ is. And they, in, they inform us. They invite our faith. And they also teach us as followers of Jesus. Not only to believe in him but to be like him. All right, I can tell where the rock is today. They inform, they, they, they teach us not only to believe in him, but to be like him. Verses 16 and 17, picking right up from where we left off last week. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Jesus bore our burdens. How does this miracle, how does this passage encourage us to believe in and to imitate Jesus, to believe in Him and to be more like Him? First, we need to believe that Jesus bore our burdens. That's where where we begin. We we begin by believing He bore our burdens. Would you say, He bore our burdens? We pick it up there at verse 16. Uh, Matthew tells us that when evening came, what we... Need to remember, as we have, uh, we're following the story now, is that it was Sabbath, and prior to this, there had be- that, that there had been some already significant activity, but by the regulation of the Sabbath, certain amounts of uh, or there there was only a margin of activity permitted. They could only walk so far, they could only do so much, they could only carry so much up until this point. And even as it, even Jesus earlier driving uh, a demon out of a man in the synagogue, that probably was uh, a little bit uh, edgy for them anyway, but it was probably too close to to ministering healing on the Sabbath, which they said you also couldn't do. So he comes home, as we learned last week, he comes to Peter's house. His mother-in-law is stricken with the flu. He touches her hand and she is immediately, the fever lifts her, she's immediately strengthened, and she begins to wait on them. That is, now, so the day has already been long. This is pretty important, again, that we lean into the humanity of Jesus. Can you do that? You've got to lean into his humanity. You've got to, because if we, if you make him some sort of a demigod, that he, doesn't, that he doesn't feel weary, doesn't feel exhaustion, doesn't have any need whatsoever, not only can we not identify with him, our faith fractures, and we could never be like him. So Jesus is, uh, it's the end of the day. He's exhausted. We said last week, we, he's not like any different than you and I. He wants to come home. This is the, as close to home as it could have been for him to let his hair down, put his wet pants on, that kind of thing. And But instead, he is 100% Jesus in private just as much as he is in public. He's the same Jesus. Okay? And so... Uh, he ministers to her, and that—that that you might think, well, there's the end of the day. That's fine. She gets up, and that she Peter's mother-in-law begins. Her, her name was Melba, we decided, last week. And she got up and waited on the folks and, and got them dinner. But then, but then, but then, but then the sun went behind the mountains. The sun began to set. And as soon as that sun went behind the mountains, the Sabbath was over, sunset to sunset. With the Sabbath over, now people were loose from their fear of mobility, or they were—they were no longer concerned with how far they had to walk. They were no longer concerned with any burdens they had to bear physically, and so now they had—they had they a—a had a, a liberty. Now the leash was off, and they knew where Jesus was. And so, what you need to try to imagine is. The entire region beginning to descend upon Peter's house. What looked like the shadow coming down the hillside wasn't a shadow, it was a crowd. And that you need to see the noise of people, the throngs of people. People probably, you know how people are always well behaved when they're eager and enthusiastic in a crowd? Just lean into that. Now, you say, well, Matthew doesn't record that. Well, he doesn't need to. He does tell us this, that when evening came, many, many came. They could travel. They could walk longer distance. They could carry loved ones who were immobilized. They could drag people who refused to come. Now, that's not a metaphor for how you felt today. I I literally mean people who very well may have been viciously refusing to come and speaking perhaps in tones and languages others didn't recognize. They could come and they did. Matthew writes, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word. Many. Go ahead and say many. That is not a handful. That is not a dozen. That is a significant crowd. A significant crowd was brought to him, and this crowd is characterized by being demon-possessed. Good morning. Demon-possessed. People often say, you know, know, my students will say, people, we don't talk about that kind of stuff on Sunday morning. Welcome to Heritage. They were demon-possessed. What does that mean, demon-possessed? Please avoid the knee-jerk Hollywood fantasy sci-fi imagery you're tempted to engage in. This doesn't necessarily mean there was, you know, green vomit everywhere and heads spinning around and, you know, different vocalizations. It doesn't necessarily require that. Not that those extremes couldn't have existed but you, we need to, we, there, it's important to back away from that because over, caric, over caricaturization of demonization has in, has created this disbelief and distance to a very real problem. Right, right. By making a caricature out of it, we've separated ourselves from it. Well, it can't be like that. They're not hovering around the ground and spinning and all kinds of Hollywood things. No. What this means, for instance, in the Amplified version of verse 16, the Amplified chooses to simply say, many who were under the power of demons. If you compare that to what Luke, how Luke describes the ministry of Jesus when he summarizes it, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, when he said, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, who God anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil under the power of. These were people who were afflicted. These were people who were vexed. These were people who had an infection of an evil or an unclean spirit. They had an infection. They were noticeably oppressed. They were hurting people. They were people who were often, according to what we read in the scriptures and elsewhere, they were people who were often being compelled to engage in harmful or unholy behaviors and habits. They were under a power. How did this happen to them? Maybe a better question, a more pokey question might be, well, what did they do to get themselves into that mess? shame on them after all am i right there's a there is a traditional inherent stigmatism with this, this concept of being demonized or under the, the power of a demon there's a stigmatism if you if that happened to you you must be a shame puppy what have you been doing we are never told, actually, in Scripture. Not once are we told, particularly in the New Testament. We are never told. There's not, a, there's not an appendix. Well, there, you might have one, but nothing canonical. Uh, there's, no, there's no appendix in your Bible that explains how it happened. We're never told how it happened. You know, it's, a lot of what we assume about demonization is what we assume about demonization. But what we know is that these spirits are described as unclean or evil, interchangeably. We also know some of the effect they have on their victims. Their victims were always under torment. We also know some of the influence that they worked through their victims. They often disrupted or they acted to confuse or they acted, as we read through the, the examples in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, they, they acted to somehow promote idolatry or immorality through their victims. Their impact and influence was unholy, was hurtful, harmful. Now, over time, over te- because of testimony, because of the practice of ministry, observation, experience, have suggested to uh, practitioners of the gospel that spirits gain access to people. They gain footholds into people's lives through various ways. Through trauma, fear, strife, abuse, Through resentment, unforgiveness, the stewarding of anger, witchcraft, the occult, literal curses, usually from family, illicit drug use, habitual sin. Lying, theft, violence, sexual immorality, that's actually demon worship. That's why it's always practiced in demonic shrines and idolatry. There are breaches in human psyche and behavior that allow for or invite or can participate with these unclean things. But what's important is to ask, well, how did Jesus treat them? How did Jesus treat these people who were under the power of demons? Did he keep his distance from them and scold them well? Did he make a sign of the cross and do this? throw water at them or whatever, (laughs) wear garlic. How did Jesus treat these people? He treated them with the same powerful compassion that he treated everyone. It is important, it is absolutely imperative that when we see the, the, the people that are demonized in Scripture, that we are not reading about a special class of people. These aren't super sinners. These aren't even people who have just behaved exceptionally naughty. They're not even necessarily non-religious people. Some of them are quite religious. In fact, all of them are living in Palestine around Jerusalem. They're all Yahwehists. Most of them had memorized more, far more of the Bible than you have. What? They'd been to Passover. Not even one of them is depicted as a Gentile. Except for the Syrophoenician woman, we'll get to that. Rather, they are consistently portrayed as people who are under a burden. We'll get there, I'm sure. But there's one, in one case, Jesus actually refers to a woman who was uh, under a physical infirmity. And Jesus when they challenged him on ministering to her, he said something to the effect of how long should this daughter of Abraham, should Satan be able to afflict this daughter of Abraham? Jesus ministered to the demonized as people who were under a burden. Would you say it out loud? Under a burden. He ministered to them as victims. This is important to say slowly and carefully in order to to dislodge even what you may not be aware of in your own psyche, the assumptions that we make about demonization and people that are being afflicted and the idea that uh, that's 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 for a special class of super sinners. They, have, they, they, they must look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way. And therefore, uh, because we've, again, created such a caricature of them, we, don't, we, we clearly don't see them around us. And even more importantly, it could never be me. But Jesus sees them as victims. Jesus treats them with mercy. Jesus comes to them, not with a sentence, but as a Savior. Jesus does not inflict or impose upon them, actually at any single time in Scripture, does Jesus impose upon them a stigmatism. He never once even returns to the demonized to rebuke them or correct them or to insist on their repentance. A few sick folk, he did come back and say, by the way, you better stop doing stuff or it's going to get worse. He said that to a couple of sick folk. But it's interesting, considering all the stigmatisms that's attached to demonization. We don't have one record of Jesus coming back and saying, well, now you know what you did to get yourself into that. Shame on you. You know, I helped you once. You fooled me once. Shame on me. Whatever they say. Whatever We don't have any record of Jesus condescending, criticizing, correcting, rebuking, stomping, slapping, nothing. He comes to them as their deliverer. This is very telling because it reminds us that everyone needs repentance. He's not saying that no one does or that they don't need repentance. We just see that, ah, repentance is not reserved for a special class of sinner. Repentance and forgiveness is not, well, if you've got some, if, you've got, if the enemy has moved in and harassed you and oppressed you, you clearly have some need of repentance. Yep, so does everyone. Everyone needs to extend repentance. Everyone needs to repent and extend forgiveness. It is not limited to those who have come under affliction. As a matter of fact, no one can become free, no one can be made whole without repentance and forgiveness. No one. Refusal to repent and to forgive will certainly leave us vulnerable to demonic power. Jesus drove out the spirits with a word. If I've heard it once, I've heard it several times. As soon as I say that, someone will say, what word was it? And they get excited. They want to learn the magic word. Yeah, word, what word was it? Mufasa. <laughs> it was not a magic word. When he says with a word, he means with a command. The word was Go. What word? Go. The word was go. Get out. Was what he said. Oh, that's it? Yes. Get out. Why was that so shocking? It's because everybody else who was trying to minister to the demonized was using all kinds of hocus pocus. They were using all the dream catchers, all of the incense, all of the medicine, all of the smoke, all of the oonga boonga, all of the stuff. I got it. Careful, Daph. Uh they were engaging in every kind of formula. You may not know this, but it's a, it's a, so if you look a little bit deeper, ever since the days of Solomon, so they, the, the history tells us, Josephus tells us that, uh, that uh, you remember when David, when, when Saul was under the torment of demons and, and David played a little thing on his fiddle and the, the he got, he got relief from that demon. History tells us that Solomon uh, picked up a little bit of, picked up a little bit of stuff And and made a little formula out of it, and passed on a tradition of formulaic deliverance, generation after generation, and that there were people practicing in Jesus' day. Their little, they had their their snake oils and their fragrances and their spells, and they could they could probably affect some degree of relief. You medicate somebody heavily enough, you sedate them, right? I mean, you, you, you could affect, they, they affected some kind of relief and they would go through all kinds of rigmarole and routine and and formula to do this all the while getting a little palm grease for it, if you know what I'm saying. They were asking for money. I wasn't sure if everybody was with me there. And you get a little bit more money, and you get a little bit more relief, and the relief doesn't doesn't, ease up a little bit, so you go get a little bit more granola, a little bit more grease in the palm there. And they've got this little business going on, (laughs) hee, hee, hee. But then Jesus shows up and says, get out. As a matter of fact, he says, shut up and get out. And they do. And everyone loses their minds. Because no one's ever seen that before. No one's ever seen that before. No one's ever seen such effective deliverance before. And if you're wondering why Jesus of Nazareth became famous, it's this. This is what made him famous. They didn't travel for miles because they said, you know, he tells a great story about soil. You gotta <laughs> You gotta hear this thing about seeds. I mean, there's seeds, there's soil, there's weeds, it's amazing. There's plot, plot twist. Not making things up here. Read the, read, if you read in the scriptures when there when after after an episode of deliverance, there's always an episode of incredible breakthrough and in healing. And because of exorcism and, and healing, the crowds sought him out. Because humanity is under great suffering. And they needed a great savior. I knew I should have. Minimize my notes today. I apologize for my enthusiasm. By a command, this is about the authority of Jesus. This is about the dominion of the Spirit. It is important that you read in the text that pride of place in this story is given. There's an emphasis on the number of people who were afflicted, who were demonically oppressed, and that Jesus delivered every single one of them. This remains a real need. Jesus is a deliverer. Well, I was looking for, I I was happy for three of you, but Jesus is a deliverer. The goal remains nothing about fantasy or adventure, but the goal remains to set people free. And to this day, there must remain no shame and no stigmatism. If people are suffering under demonic torment, it doesn't make them a devil worshiper, a drug dealer, or even a particularly energetic sinner. It makes you someone who is under a burden. And there is deliverance. Then, almost as a postscript, then Jesus says, and healed all the sick. Many who were demon-possessed came to him. And Jesus drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Why don't you say it out loud, all the sick. sick. There you go, church. Here's my church. Never, never do we read that Jesus healed some. You will search in vain for some. You will search in vain for it, and Jesus gave it his best shot. Our frame of reference in the scripture is all. As a matter of fact, parenthetically, that's our frame of reference, period, is all. They were all filled. He is willing that none should perish, and they were all healed. There isn't one human being on the face of this earth that heaven doesn't want, hasn't paid for, and isn't absolutely passionate about redeeming. This is the standard of our hope, the template, the frame of reference for our hope is all. Do not compromise. Do not give ground. Do not surrender the beachhead. In Matthew and in and in Mark, in particular, we it, there seems to be a pattern, and I it's a pattern that I am I am inferring from the Scripture that I'm I'm kind of placing there. Does, there's no didactic that says this, but I would I, I seem to recognize this that the driving that driving out demons and healing the sick are not unrelated. That when we see Jesus driving out demons there usually follows that some level of great breakthrough and in this passage he drives out the demons and then heals all the sick there's a massive breakthrough in healing because the demonic activity has been broken one seems to follow the other or by or at least they're they're very very well connected now no no, no we are not saying because I'm going to get people some little Run up here and ask a question. Dab, dev, 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 are you saying no? I am we are not saying that all physical ailment is spiritually caused. It, you, it is possible for you just to have stubbed your toe. <laughs> but unless we are willing and bold enough to confront spiritual causes and powers and oppressors, we will not see the level of breakthrough that Jesus did. Healing and deliverance are both necessary and needful parts of Christ's burden-bearing saving work. Yes. Matthew 17 tells us so. Matthew wants the reader to know that what ha- what happened, what he described, he says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew here supplies his own translation of the Hebrew text. It's, a more, it's more accurate than the Septuagint. It's more, it's, it is, the, the, the Hebrew language is, emphasizes physical infirmity. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew says, this was to fulfill. That means this was to make happen or make true. Jesus has made this true. Say that out loud. Jesus has made this true. That's what he means. What did he make true? He took up. We've taught a little bit. I've taught a little bit about the word lambano. Dr. Saulwasser is currently engaging in a pretty girl. But I said, lambano. You remember lambano? Right. Remember, you would take my pens and say lambano. Yeah, that usually is the word receive in the Greek. You'll see that they say they had not yet received the spirit, the word lambano. But lambano means I take or I I receive. It is an aggressive receiving. It is to seize something. And that's the word here. He took, he took, he, he took up our infirmities. He seized them yeah that's what we're supposed to. what? Yeah, Jesus came, didn't ask permission, and seized our infirmities. Come on. What? Yep. Yeah. He took our infirmities, the, our, our illnesses, our weakness, that which is infirm. but did you hear that? He't There's no past tense there. He doesn't say he took up their infirmities. He took up ours. He took up yours. He seized them. He bore our disease. He carried away. That's what the word means. He removed. To bear or to carry away, it connotes this idea. You should imagine someone carrying away something heavy. Too heavy for you, not too heavy for him. Carrying away something heavy. Sickness is heavy and disease is a burden. And Jesus seized them and carried them away. That's what Matthew is telling us. We must believe. This is still under the main point here. We must believe that Jesus bore our burdens. This is bold. The Bible is making great claims here. A very accurate paraphrase, and one that I didn't come up with, but I was shocked that someone had the courage to paraphrase it this way. That this is, They paraphrase Matthew by saying this, this is to fulfill what the Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied. He caused us to no longer have infirmity and disease. He did? <laughs> he did. Jesus got In between the oppressed and their oppression, and he lifted until they were set free. We can and we should believe that Jesus bore our burdens. But this is not written just to inform our faith, but to direct our behavior. We don't, we follow Jesus. We don't just observe him. Hmm, Interesting. We don't just observe him. We imitate him. Jesus do, we do. We should not just believe Jesus bore our burdens. We should be like Jesus to the burdened. Jesus got in between the oppressed and their oppression and lifted and lifted until they were set free. So must we. Our world is in dire condition. Oppression, addiction, infirmity, torment, violence, curses, evil. Pain, Burdens. We, the church of Jesus Christ, must take up the mantle and mission of his name. We must get in between oppression and the oppressed and lift until they are set free. Nothing so communicates and confirms the the hope of our salvation as healing and deliverance. Nothing so enables our freedom to obey and to enjoy Christ as healing and deliverance. We must confirm the oppression of evil. We must contend for the healing of the sick. Yes, yes, yes. Today, heritage, we must believe that Jesus bore our burdens. And we must be like Jesus to those who. Who are burdened. Just you stand? Without any second guessing, without any stigmatisms, without any navel gazing, just in honesty and humility, have you come burdened this morning? Have you come burdened? Burned it, burdened in your physical body, or sensing perhaps acutely aware even of even a spiritual burden that which oppresses or compels have you come burdened this morning we believe jesus is a burden bearer Have you come burdened this morning? Do you need Jesus? Do you need Christ to get in between you and that which oppresses you today? And lift. Have you come burdened? Would you, right now, would you lift your hand where you are and just say, yeah, I have. I've come burdened. I've come. I've come burdened this morning. Go ahead, lift lift your hand. Go ahead, just lift it. Just lift it up high. I've come burdened. Burdened this morning. I need help. I need healing. I need help this morning. I've come burdened. If you're able to, would you join me here at the front? Just, even if you're in the middle of a row, it might help somebody else feel more comfortable if they see you kind of nudge. But if you're able to, would you would you join me here? Come right now and just say, "Excuse me, I I need to need prayer." It'll encourage someone else to join you. drama no no parade here we're just making room for ministry all right now we're going to be the church the church of jesus christ is going to get in between you and that which is oppressing you and lift so i need some prayer workers john others come and help me now come right in front saw washers come right around front come right around front and get right in front of these people judy if you can move come and help me pray we're not gonna we are not going we do not have to do long interviews today Remember, Jesus took care of business with a word. But if you, can, if you can articulate in a sentence or two where it is that you need help, the burden that you're carrying today, this is the, you might just say, this is the burden I'm carrying today. All right? Everybody get with somebody. I need to make sure that we're, that we're helping here. Right around front here. I need everybody to get with somebody. I want everybody with somebody. Make sure that you see a face. That you see everybody with somebody need to team up we certainly can i need a gal here possible darcy maybe come on up please everybody naomi's here everybody get with somebody now listen friends our confidence is not in the resume that we brought with us it's not in our expertise our confidence is in the name of jesus i want everybody in the house just to say the name of jesus jesus no i want you to not, not not just say it again jesus jesus he is our confidence, he is our hope He is absolute. His, his authority is absolute and he never misses so we're going to pray now in the name of Jesus if you haven't come for prayer or to pray with somebody else, would you stretch out a hand would you begin to believe God, would you intercede in where you are, begin to intercede for those who have come burdened this morning we're going to expect that whatever burden they came with, we are going to get in between that thing, we're going to lift this morning until that thing is lifted off, they're set free Team Brown, serenade the spirit of the Lord. Don't be afraid to pause and measure a difference. There's pain that lifts. We hate it, any sense of change. Expect the Holy Spirit right now. Expect the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit and apply now in this moment all that Christ has accomplished. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, ministering through the church of Jesus to do good, to heal those who are under the power, who are under torment, under burdens come Holy Spirit and power. I thank you for ministering to bodies, physical bodies, joints and tendons and tissues, joints and marrow. Every dark assignment of hell we cancel that day. We're bound. In the name of Jesus and deliverance flow well, healing and deliverance Jesus you took them carried them away